Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Matthew 14, beginning with the 22nd verse. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Understandably, the disciples did not want to leave the master's side. Nobody in their right mind would ever want to leave the security of being at the side of God. In fact, all of our wondering from God is really temporary insanity. How many of y'all ever feel a little crazy sometimes? Yeah. He said, get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And here's the challenge. Who wants the other side when on this side, Jesus just fed 5,000 people? I mean, miracles are happening. I mean, what, what do you mean other side, Lord? I mean, this is good, Lord. We need to camp out and just do our thing, thing here. But Jesus intentionally, understanding all that would happen, told these 12 men to go to a place that his presence would seem far away. Ever feel far away? He goes on to say, while he dismissed the crowd, while he gave his disciples a new dis- assignment and, and sent them into uh, a new work, Jesus stayed behind and gave the blessing and benediction to everybody else. And I could imagine the frustration in the faces and, and in the hearts of the disciples. Lord, you know, this is a good thing. We're experiencing your presence. Great miracles. Have. Why, why do we ever have to, to leave this place? 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself. This is important. Jesus loved people, but he didn't need people. All Jesus ever needed was the Father. And we have to learn from Jesus and be too careful, be careful about becoming too needy sometimes in our lives. Well, he went by himself to do something, to pray. Now, Scripture does not say what Jesus prayed about. But my guess, and I think it's fair to guess here, he probably was praying about those 12 men he just sent into that boat into a violent storm. And our greatest time of need, our greatest need for prayer often comes when we're going through that test. And when evening came, the Bible says he was there alone or by himself. The point is Jesus needed and wanted to be alone. But, but pay attention. But he also wanted his disciples to face this storm alone. God will never, ever abandon us. But sometimes he will let himself seem far away just for us to realize where our faith really is. But the boat by this time, verse 24, was a long way from land. John tells us that they were about three and a half miles from the shore. Then it goes on to describe their condition. Now these guys are in the will of God, but watch the condition they're in. Beaten by the waves. Ever feel beaten? I mean, you're doing what God said. You got water beating on you, wind and waves beating on you. And then it says, for the wind was what? Against them. Now here they are in the will of God. And it seems like all nature is conspiring against their purpose. The will of God is not always going to be easy. 
Jesus himself said, guys, get into the boat and go on over. But in the midst of their journey, trouble came. In fact, you know, this is hours into the journey. They are not only off course, they're behind schedule. Anybody ever feel a little bit behind schedule and a little bit off course? You're in the position of these disciples. So let's learn some things. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, it was dark, he came to them. Not the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, but he waited till the fourth watch. When is the fourth watch? Between three and six o'clock in the morning. They've been struggling. Now, now the scripture said that the, pretty much they left around twilight. Then Jesus went up into the mountain. So the odds are they had struggled for upwards of nine hours. And Jesus sent them into the struggle. Just because you're struggling does not mean you're not in God's will. Jesus intentionally, intentionally made them get into the boat. Actually, elsewhere it says he forced him. These are fishermen and they understand weather. They, they kind of feel it in their bones. They knew that there were some situations that, you know, that, that they might meet. But instead of Jesus responding to their instinct, he had a bigger and higher plan. And he said, I want you to face this problem and this crisis anyway. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And when we're frightened, we tend to see everything through that lens. And life and things and even God can get distorted. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out, in fear. These men in the midst of their storm became afraid of Jesus. And God's will can at times become frightening. God is a friend and he is near, but also remember he is a God and he's God by himself. When they see this Jesus coming, they see him coming in a way they never saw him come before. And they saw him come in a moment that, that they thought that God would never show up in. But God specializes, by the way, in show up, showing up in, in such moments. It said, they cried out in fear like little sissy girls. <laughs> These are fishermen. If they're crying out, it must have been a heck of a storm. This is what they did. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, said, guys, I have not abandoned you. My design is only to test you. And in our moments of testing, we often feel abandoned. God, where are you? God, why did you send me into this? God, if you love me, this would not be happening. But Jesus knew what they would face and sent them anyway. He said, take heart, literally, I am. But our translation says, it is I. If God leads you into a crisis, he will show up in that crisis to lead you out. God's just that way. How many of y'all heard people say, he may not show when you want him, but what? He's always on time. He said, don't be afraid. Jesus didn't tell him 10 things to do. Didn't tell him eight or nine things to do. Didn't tell him six, five, four, three, or two things to do. Jesus, in the midst of this storm, only gave them one command. So there was no opportunity for confusion. He didn't ask them to memorize verses in the Bible. He didn't ask them, you know, remind, you know, tell me once again what the Ten Commandments, none of that. He said, guys, I need you to do one thing, just one thing in the midst of your trial. He said, don't 
be afraid. A lot of us trying to figure it out and, you know, Lord, I, I, need, to, I need to understand this. When I understand that, no, no, no. God doesn't, doesn't need all that. The only thing Jesus asked him to do is what? Don't be afraid. And then when Jesus said that, Peter had an instance where, where I mean, he was gripped by this fear. I mean, these guys were going to drown. They, they were taking on water. They were going down. And, and again, they understood storms. They understood, you know, in reality, they weren't just, you know, uh, hyping, you know getting hyped in the head and imagining. They, they were going down. And, and, and Peter, under, he understood it. And, 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 and he said, okay, when Jesus said, don't be afraid, he immediately obeyed. He said, you know what? He just snapped it to himself. He said, okay, Lord, okay, okay. If it's you, if I can really get over this fear, I need you to take command of my situation. And by the way, the way God takes commands of our circumstances is by putting a word on it. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Help me get on top of the stuff that's trying to sink me and take me down. Jesus, I'm ready and willing to walk on my fears. If you would do what only God can do and tell me to come. You see, ultimately what our storms are designed for, the devil designs it for evil. But God designs every storm in your life to be a lesson on what you can conquer and what you can walk on. Are you hearing me? These men were not ready for ministry. They weren't ready to conquer the world till they understood that there ain't no storm. There ain't no earthquake. There ain't no volcano. There ain't nothing on heaven or earth that can separate them from the love of God. And without that conviction, without realizing that God gave them capacity and power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and the Bible said over all the power of the adversary, without that understanding, they weren't ready. So sometimes God sends you in the stuff so you can learn what you can overcome. You see, once you overcome one storm, when the second storm comes, ain't no big deal. That's what David said. He said, I defeated the lion and I defeated the bear. Goliath going to be the same way. So God intentionally let some lions and some bears, some lions and some bears into your life. Not to hurt you, to harm you, but to show you what only he can do. He said, Lord, if it's you, I don't ever want to be this afraid again. Use your authority. Get me out of this mess. And Jesus looked at him through the storm. And he said, come. Jesus didn't ask him to write a five-page paper. He didn't ask him to figure it out. All he did was use a, a four-letter word. You see, it's not our job to figure it out. In fact, the command made absolutely no sense to the thinking person. Peter's only job was to step out of that boat and to come. And when you're in trouble and there's no way out, by the way, your boat's sinking anyway. I don't see what, what the problem is, you know. If it, I mean, you're going down anyway, you might as well. But that's your problem. You're so doggone smart. You got to figure everything out first. Well, sometimes God doesn't make any sense. God's only instruction to him is do, do what you can't do. And come. So Peter got out of the boat. Now, this is why many of us stay stuck in our stuff. We never get out of the boat. 
We want to be with everybody else. So 11 men stayed in the boat. But Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and not came toward, but came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, we've preached this before, when he got his eyes off the word of God and began to focus on his opposition and his problem. People always, this is my problem. You don't know my problem. My problem is this. My problem is that if you would get your focus off your problem and back onto God's word, Christ was God's word incarnate. And God's word was right there. But instead of focusing on God's word, he started focusing on his, it's my husband, it's my boss, it's my neighbor, it's this person, it's that person, it's my diabetes. He got his focus off of God's word on his situation. And that will defeat you every single time. But when he saw the wind, watch this, he was afraid. That's the only thing. He didn't tell him 10 things, 9 things, 8 things, 7, 5, 4, 3, 2, no. He only told him one thing not to do, and that's the doggone thing Peter died. How I many just like Peter sometimes? And beginning to sink, he cried out. Sometimes that's why we're crying so much, because we don't listen. We don't do the one thing. He's not asked for 17,000 things. God keeps it simple with us. He recognizes our weakness. He said, God, just one thing. But the one thing he didn't do, and he started to, to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. What's wonderful about this passage is we see that God loves us even when we're messing up. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and you might want to criticize Peter, but, but, but let me tell you, at least he got out the boat. The other 11 guys, they, 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 man, they, they, man, he should have done this shit. Yeah, yeah, but you in the boat. 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him. God only saved people who did things right all the time. I'd be in deep trouble. He took hold of him. He said, oh, you of little faith. Little faith means small faith, implying that probably at one point he had big faith. My guess is it takes big faith, maybe, you know, to get out of the boat and make that step. I don't know. But without getting into all the, the details of that, the point is, at some point his faith shrunk. And this is my and your problem at times. And we get out there all excited, but then we get distracted by our opposition and we get our eyes off the prize. You hear what I'm saying? And, and we, we end up like, like Jesus. But, but Jesus is not condemning him. He's being instructive in what he's saying. He says, oh, you of shrunken faith. Why? Peter, you were doing it, man. Peter, you made it to me, man. You did what no other man did. Moses had to part the Red Sea, but you walked on the water, Peter. Why, Peter? Why did you Doubt. Doubt is faith's kryptonite. It'll turn Superman back into Clark Kent. It will suck everything right out of you. 
He didn't say figure it out. And then, you know, that depends on a person's IQ experience. But, but no, no. He said, all I want you to do is believe and not be afraid. Not a tall order. He said, Peter, why, why did you doubt? Again, Peter, you were doing what you, what you couldn't do. And I have internally faced this question, if not hundreds, thousands of times. Derek, you were doing it. You were doing what you couldn't think you could do. But some crisis emerged, some situation emerged, and I got focused on the crisis and somehow started to sink. And the question becomes, why? You're already doing the impossible. Maybe you got that far, why can't he take you to the end? Why? Did you doubt? James 1 through 1 verse 5 begins to give us the answer. James is a, he, he's, a, he, he's a pastor's pastor, and he says this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So use your brain, but when you can't figure it out, you need to get over it and go to the one who understands and knows. It can be exhausting trying to figure everything out. It will keep you up late at night. And by the way, even still, even if you think you get a figure, it will never happen just the way you expected or thought it would. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without what? Reproach. And what James saying, man, God is big hearted. He's not looking for a reason to say no. He's looking for any excuse to say yes. And it will be what? Given him. Six. But here's the caution. And this is good pastoring here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. You see, I get the faith part. We get the faith part. It's the no doubting that kicks our butts. You hear what I'm saying? That's where the challenge is. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You see, the doubter believes but has no assurance. The doubter says he believes but has no confidence. His faith is like a handful of water present but ever slipping away. For that person, once again, good leadership. He didn't want anyone deceived. That person must not deceive himself or suppose that he will receive any, that's hard, anything from the Lord. This is clear language. But here's something I've learned. Even though I've obeyed, even though I'm in the will of God, if I let my doubts grip me, even if I'm standing next to Jesus, I'll begin to sink. I used to think just because God called me to ministry, I'd be successful. <laughs> I used to think just because my wife and I, we, we, we shared our vows and, you know, death do we part, we did it before God that, that somehow we were just magically going to have a great marriage. But the reality is that a double-minded man in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just, let's just read. Let's read the text. For that person must not suppose that he receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8. For he is, he's diagnosing the malady. If you're not getting anything from the Lord, it's not the Lord's fault. <laughs> your problem is on your shoulders. Right there. He is a two-minded or double 
minded man. A person with two minds. One minute one way, the next minute another. When you're in church, you're holy and sophisticated, but get you, one card just cuts you off on the way home from church. You manifest in a totally different from hosannas to, you hear what I'm saying? He is a double-minded or schizophrenic man. James is describing the conflicted life that many of us in here are living. Your spirit says one thing, but your mind says another. Your heart says he's for me, but your brain says, I'm not so sure. Spirit of God inside your spirit says give and forgive, but, but your brain says, uh, you know what, if, if I let them go, they're going to get me back, and, and, and I'm, I'm not so, you hear what I'm saying? And they, they live a conflicted life for, listen, years. I've been passing a long time. Years. Never making up their mind to decide that, you know what, I'm just going to do what God says and believe what God has said. He is a two-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm going to offend you in a minute, but it, it, it will help you. Never trust. Listen, I'm graying a little bit. I, I've earned the right to say this. Never trust a born-again person. Say, where are you going, Bishop? You will regret it. I have scars in my back, parts of knives still broken off in there to prove it. The only people you should ever trust are born-again people with made-up minds. A double-minded saint is unstable, uncertain. You cannot count on them. They'll be excited on Sunday, falling apart by Wednesday. They'll be for you on Tuesday, trying to kill you on Friday. That's the reality in the church. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.